We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it's your True Faith podcast. Uh, Southampton nil, Newcastle United won, and Newcastle win away from home for the second time in five days. I can't remember the last time I said that. If if it's ever happened when I've when I've been an adult, I don't I don't think uh, I don't think it has. I'm joined this week uh, on the line by Norman Riley, Chris Shipman, who were both at the game. Hello, lads. Hello. Hello. And I've got Ben Wade uh, on the line as well, who watched it on the telly like me, the Fairweather fans that we are. Hello, Ben. Um, so yeah, the um, massive, massive win for Newcastle United in a massive week. You know, we're coming to this game off the back of one of the great nights for for the for the many that went down and and the rest of us that watched it on the telly. Newcastle winning away from home in the FA Cup fifth round to set up a quarter final, the worst quarter final we could have got, Man City. But um, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I, I still think we're going to win. Um, Chris, I just what just. Wanted to see what kind of your feeling was running into this game and 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 how you felt off the back of Tuesday night and what what the kind of atmosphere was like down in the sunny south coast. Yeah, I think something that we discussed in the match day podcast, which if you're a patron, uh, you can listen to. Uh, sign up if you're not. Um, but was that kind of weird optimism uh, that we kind of had going into this one? We did the preview earlier in the week as well, and. Um, I think three out of four of us uh, thought we'd get a positive result here. Uh, Norman and I were particularly kind of positive. Those that have listened to quite a few of these podcasts will probably know that generally I tend to err on a little bit more of the kind of pessimistic side. But um, I did think that we could win. Um, the reasons being for that, um, that Danny Ings wasn't necessarily match fit, um, that um, we had pretty much all of our kind of players back uh, and the Redmond uh, was out as well. Um, so yeah, positive going into it as to the day itself. I think the, th- the other thing that we're really excited about is hitting up uh, the now traditional away day pub uh, that we go to, the Rockstone, uh, which does fantastic food, lovely beer, and uh, yeah, it was just a really good group uh, down there yesterday. Really good day. Norman, what do you echo of those sentiments? Mate, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, just a great, I great day, like Chris says, we're everything, brilliant people. Um, Brilliant pub, and went to this Belgian booze afterwards as well. That was really good. Um, I cracking deal and all, and, and I like um, I like going to Southampton. This is the third year after spin I've done it. Haven't seen a defeat yet, um, so there you go. And it's a, a lucky ground for me. Um, but I brilliant deal and all, and I, I quite like Southampton because um, the PA gets the music spot on. Um, last year, like they played out with um, or two years ago, they played out with the Style Council's uh, shout at the top. And this year, this year it was doing doing you forget about me by Simple Minds. 
don't you forget about me as Southampton crashed to a defeat. It was, uh, it was just lovely. So I, <laughs> brilliant day, mate. Brilliant day. Delighted to hear it. Norman, that's some record considering Newcastle before yesterday had won once in 45 visits to Southampton. That includes uh, our miserable, miserable record at the Dell. And then that carried on going to St. Mary's. So what... One win, two draws in three visits uh, to Southampton is absolutely tremendous for any Newcastle fan. So you've got to, you, now you have to go every year, just so you know. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, living, I'm, I'm well aware that I'm, I'm living, you know, I'm living the dream of many by um, seeing Newcastle United unbeaten at uh, St Mary's. It's uh, something that, it's something that I, you know, I'm, I feel blessed for, and I, and I give thanks to, um, give thanks to the Lord, baby Jesus Christ. <laughs> I think one of, one of the many reasons that my dad stopped going, um, stopped going away from home was that he'd been to Southampton like seven or eight times and saw us just lose miserably every single time so uh yeah you, you were you were a lucky man norman i you know anyone that listens to the podcast would know that i quite the opposite of chris am always massively optimistic about newcastle and i was i was going into this but this time i thought it was it was founded on you know on, on something that something that was true rather than me just being ridiculous i i had a doubt to win this game and um i really fancied it and for me you know, but we'll we'll come on to the VAR decisions and stuff shortly. But for me, when it was eleven against eleven, I thought Newcastle were well well in the game and and looked at least as good as a Southampton side that started yesterday five points ahead of us. Can you believe that? By the way, that's how bad it's been recently. Um, ben, I know you watched it on the telly like I did. Uh, it gives you a good a good view of the performance. Um, what what were your thoughts on how we performed when when they had eleven men on the pitch? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think. Um... Gail had a couple of uh, good early chances, I think. Um, we'll go on and speak to that uh, in a bit more detail later on, but I think he uh, justified his, his um, selection and, and looked really dangerous. Um, yeah, just just quickly, we will come out of that. Norman um, has demanded yeah. to speak about Gail and has also, I, I don't know whether it's public yet, or but it, it's going to be a, a public challenge to a shirtless duel. That's what, that's what I read in the WhatsApp group this morning, Norman. Is that right? <laughs> no, that, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. That was other people like um, sort of projecting our fantasies onto onto, onto me. That we had <laughs> the one to see me and Dwight Gill wrestle with our tops off. I don't know who who come up with it, but they've got a very sick mind, and I'm not I'm not a willing participant. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Carry on. But um, no, I, was say, I think uh, I like, I like um, Almiron playing a bit uh, sort of closer to the, the main striker as well. I think um, Richie um, obviously brought into play on the wing um, and Maximum on the side I thought they were um, dangerous um, I'm surprised that he's, he's still sticking with um, Shelvin Hayden I, I think I would still prefer to see Longstaff come in for Hayden in that in that centre role but I, I understand Hayden probably gives gives a bit more protection for the back four but uh, Shelby was uh, sort of his creative uh, best again playing some really good balls in um, and we just looked I just think that we had more attacking options um up, up sort of going going forward we looked more dangerous looked like we were creating more chances and um Almiron and Gale I think just with that that pace up front looked really dangerous together and, and then adding Maximan's speed and um sort of dribbling ability and, and then Richie's sort of delivery as well. Um I, I think that was a really good balanced side that we put out there and, and I completely agree. I, I think we were um well well in the game and I mean to be honest when you look at Southampton um, they've got a few good players, but I, I, I expect to, on on paper anyway, at least I expect to be beating that team man for man. I, I think we've got a, a stronger side than they have. <clears throat> I know they've had that turn of form, and Danny Ings has been on fire and, and has been one of the main sort of reasons they've they've really kicked on. But uh, I think 
with him not being uh, fully fit as Chris alluded to, I, I think there was definitely a team there for the taking, and uh, it was pleased. I was obviously pleased to see that we uh, we got the job done. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to the um, the change in system uh, later on in the show. But who who would have thought that signing a player for twenty million quid and then playing him in the right position where he's torn up the torn up the league in the US? Who would have thought that that might work? You know. Anyway, moving on, Norman. Um, Ben's touched on it briefly. I know you wanted to uh to to go through it. Gale got the start this weekend. It was it was revealed actually on social media before the teams came out with a, a cryptic Instagram story post from the new and and fair play to him, tremendous uh new bloke who's doing the the social media for Newcastle. The Gale was going to be starting and start he did and he missed a few chances. Norman, he did miss a few chances, but you know what? I'm genuinely not overly concerned by that. Um, obviously, if Southampton had won 1-0 or it had been 0-0, we might have, it might have been more frustrating than he had. But for me, the mere fact that Gale got into those positions is a positive. So, you know, it's it's the fact that he's got the, the movement and the intelligence to get into, as I said, to get into those positions. Um, he might not be, he might not be a clinical Premier League striker, um, but, he, but he, he knows how to play as a centre-forward. And that alone means that automatically more dangerous. So, you know, let's see a Joe Linton. I, I don't believe Joe Linton is a natural centre forward, and and you know, and for me, you know, he, he therefore wouldn't have necessarily got into the positions that Gale did for a start, and the midfielders wouldn't have had the option of picking him out. Um, and also with Shelby on the side, Shelby and Gale do have this understanding um, of each other's abilities. Um, Gale's intelligence, his, his movement, his running, his ability to find space. Shelby knows it, and those kind of long rake and passes that Shelby can play. Um, he just he just knows that Gale's gonna he's gonna be onto them or he's gonna at least challenge for them or something something's gonna happen um, and that's what happens when you you know when you play a natural centre forward in a centre forward position now of course we know that it would have been great to have gone out during the transfer window in the summer and bought a number nine who we think would get goals in the Premier League um, however I genuinely believe that if Dwight Gale had been pretty much our first choice centre forward from the start of the season. Bearing in mind who we've got to choose from, I think he probably would have a few goals and we'd probably have a few more points on the board. Um, and, you know, there's also the the kind of argument that, well, you know, he's not strong enough against physical centre-halves. I think that's an absolute myth. Now, Gale, you know, look, we know he's not the tallest player. I think he's 1m78 for, for a centre-forward. He's not the, the heaviest player. He's, you know, he's in mid-70s, I would guess, kilos-wise. But he's so strong. He's so incredibly strong. And Chris will back me up, I'm sure, here. He showed it yesterday. You're talking balls, high balls going up, and, and his leap, his ability to leap is phenomenal. He was getting above um, Bednarek and Stevens on a couple of occasions, leapt above them, used his strength, won the ball in the air, um, and he made a huge difference. And as I say, you know, this um, this understanding that he's got with, with John Joe Shelby is great. And, and his movement as a centre forward, what it does is, is it, it worries centre halves, it pulls players out of position, it thereby opens up space for players like Almiron, for players like Maximan to get into, into exploit. And I think we saw that yesterday. And, and as I say, I'll, I'll say it again, just the fact that he was in the six-yard box on the end of those balls, for me, it justifies his selection. I think Bruce yesterday got his team selection absolutely spot on, got the formation spot on. And as Ben says, I looked at the lineup yesterday, I looked at ours, I looked at the formation we were playing, and I think I discussed it on the um, on the preview, but also on the match day yesterday. I did. This, this was one of the first games this season where... I genuinely felt confident that we we're going to get something, and um, you know, and, and fair play, Bruce, Bruce nailed it. Simple as that. We got the win. Completely agree. I'm delighted you said that. I was a bit worried when you when you asked to take this segment of the show that you were going to um, give him a stick. You know, it's the like one of the oldest sayings in football is it's worrying for a striker when they don't get chances, and 
when they are getting chances and they're missing, that's just one of those things. You know, Dwight Gale hasn't played that much football this season and he, he's come into the team. He should have scored. He should have scored. He should have scored twice. You know, he could have had a hat-trick. He probably could have taken the pen, but the, you're absolutely spot on. The fact that he was in the box and he's, he's got on the end of those. Yeah, crack on. Let, let me jump in. So, you know, like, the, 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 there's like a focus on social media. Uh, apparently, I, I wasn't I wasn't scanning it because uh, I really do, but on Gale missing those chances, I, I, I don't recall there being much um, sort of slating of Miguel Almiron because the two chances that Almiron had after Gale's shot mm. was initially saved, they were just as clear yeah. cut. You know, he put it yeah. straight into McCarthy's chest and then, you know, I love Almiron. Almiron is a phenomenal player. His work rate yesterday is, I mean, it's spectacular. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful gifted footballer, but he cannot use his right foot at all. He's got no confidence with his right foot. And I think this is probably the third time this season where he's had a chance at the back post on the right-hand side and he's gone to try and hit it with his left where he should have just leathered it with his right. Nobody's, nobody, I haven't seen anybody in any ways kind of him out for that. Yet people dig out Gale for missing a couple of chances. You know, it, it, it's for me, it's just the fact that both players are in those positions is a good thing. And, you know, that'll be picked up on, you'd think, by the management team and there'll be something that's worked on. So I'm taking pure positives from yesterday and pure positives from those missed chances. Completely. Were good saves as well, I think. You have to give give a bit of credit like this. Brilliant I mean, saves. It, 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 he, he had a good game yesterday, McCarthy. I mean, obviously saved, um, saved, saved the pen as well. But... Um, I think uh, it, what I, I liked about Gale was at least as, as you, you just said, he was he was getting those chances. We haven't really um, seen Joe Linton getting into the box and, and getting on the end of those. I mean that the, the header I think he had as well um, was I mean it was wasn't the best of headers. It was pretty much straight at the keeper, but um, I think it was a great ball from from Shelby from sort of deep like one of those deep curling uh, crosses. Um, you just I, I, I don't see Joe Linton getting in that position and, and having having creating that chance. Um, from from what I've seen from him, and, and as you say, that Shelby does seem to have that understanding with Gale um, from past seasons, where he, he he knows he's a an outlet that he'll always see see the same things, and I think that's really important. And yes, Gale didn't get his goal. Um, I mean that's it's nothing <laughs> nothing new there. Unfortunately, he's, he's not prolific at this level. But um, as, as you said, it's 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 a more of a um, worry for defenders, as you say to. To have to look for those runs and the fact that he's getting in behind that will have had had an impact on on their mindset for the rest of the game and and probably as you say would would attract attention to the point where the defenders will, will be looking for Gale and, and and as you say will then create space for Amaron and Maximan and um that, that's much much more of an, a threat to, to defenses than than we've seen from Joe Linton at times this year where I, I get the feeling that defenders kind of don't need to worry about him too much. They know he's not going to be getting into the boxing on the end of those types of chances. So they can then take risks and, and sort of push a bit further forward. So it has a complete different shift on, on the defence's mentality when when you've got a player who's, who's quick as well. I mean, he's quick off the mark, Gale. It, it just means they've, they've got another threat to worry about and it probably pins them a bit deeper, which will then give, give more space to, to the attacking midfielders sort of coming in. Yeah, and, and you know, the... The, the kind of final point on that, how many shots has Joe Linton had this season? How many clear chances has, has Joe Linton had this season? We're looking at one, you know, in, in the league, the one he scored against Spurs. And, you know, one out of one, it's a decent it's a decent percentage, but Gale had more chances in in a second when he missed both of those in the first half than, than Joe Linton's had all season. Like, it's, uh, you know, it's for me, it's a, it's a no-brainer that, that Gale is is the striker now for us. And, you know, it'll come off for me, you 
you'll get some goals this season. It will it will work. Shelby will find them with some of the balls. It, there was there was quite a few yesterday that that only just didn't didn't make it past the last defender. And if they had Gale was still on goal and no one's catching him, uh, and, he, and he, he probably scores one of them. Um, but yeah, moving on. Uh, I, for the second time this season, Newcastle have and this might not be the right word, but Newcastle have benefited from the video assistant ref. Uh, twice in this game we'll have and I, I, firstly I wanted to ask you what, what was it like experiencing it in the ground and, and how different was it that the replays were on on the screen uh, it certainly adds a bit of drama uh, having the reason for it thrown up um, so I, I still don't think it's a perfect system it's a little bit improved I think the concern for me is still twofold first of all the delay that is built into it so inevitably it results in waiting around and yeah that does add a bit of drama and it's nice when you're on the the positive end of a call there you know it's nice to get given it um depressing that we have to um, resort to being gifted these opportunities but anyway (laughs) um so there's there's that and then i think just also the the fact that while we all slate referees i think bringing anything that brings doubt into you know the the authority of the man in the centre there, uh, and he, you know, his capacity to get decisions wrong or right. I think that's a bit of a concern for me. You know, Santa fans understandably completely agreed. Um, but yeah, I think just having this kind of extra layer on top, whereby, yeah, in one sense, it's good that we know more or less that decisions are accurate, but it just does bring that doubt in. And it, I think in certain situations, particularly in kind of derby games, for example, you could very easily get into a situation where just everything boils over too much because um, there is that kind of doubt there. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite exciting and uh, yeah, enjoyable getting those two uh, VAR decisions our way, albeit with uh, the penalty being missed. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was... Uh, Go on, so, sorry, sorry, but yeah, I, I am. I speaking from like yesterday's experience you know what it felt like and, and I, this isn't a positive necessarily don't get me wrong I, I love the fact that obviously we benefited from it um that was brilliant but it kind of um makes kind of a match a bit like uh, watching a game show if i had like yeah. a game show element to it um yeah it was it was yeah it was kind of like now nah, brucey's player cards right it was a bit um a little <laughs> bit odd um stevie bruce's player cards right but uh, it was just a little bit yeah, a little bit of kind of theatre of the bazaar, but at the same time, obviously, as Chris says, when you're on the positive end of it, it's brilliant. And, and you know, um, in terms of, like, uh, bands with a Z with other fans, it's absolutely brilliant because, especially at Southampton, you're, you're kind of next to... You're, you're stuck in between their two singing sections. So there is this um, real kind of nervous energy and, and um, back and forth between the two sets of fans, which is, you know, it, it adds to the theatre of it. But... Um, I don't know, overall, put it this way, if it had been the other way around yesterday, how would I have felt? I, I probably would have felt like VAR was the worst thing in the world right now. But at this moment in time, then, you know, let, let us keep benefiting from it. It's great. <laughs> yeah, Alex always says that, that VAR is made for the, the TV fans, and he's, he's completely, totally right. For me yesterday, it was it was great to have it because the two decisions were, were so clear. I mean, in real time on the telly as well, both of them were really obvious. I was screaming for the red and I was screaming for the pen. And both of them have been made right, and both of them wouldn't have gotten. You know, you, you don't know what happens in that game. Yeah. You guys will probably go out and lose. So, I'm I'm delighted that we got it yesterday. But overall, you know, the the delay, especially for the the penalty shout, the delay was 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 borderline farcical. And apparently, the reason for that was that they were looking at the potential shirt pull from Saint Max on um was I forget who it was that that handled it, but they were looking at uh, it. Dufal, 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 D
Yeah, they yeah, were looking right. at a potential shirt pull, and it, it, it did kind of look like there might have been one. But, like, how long was it? Four minutes or something? Like, how many times do they need to check that? Like, oh, well, lads. Like, there's just... I think, there's I think Sorry, Mickey. I think you're completely right in there in it bringing in extra kind of layers of offences on top of one another. If you're going to check one offence, you have to kind of take the play back by logic and look at potential offences that might have been uh, happening before that. And that that does just layer things up. It, it delays time. And it's just, it is a little bit absurd, to be honest, like this kind of micro detail. Um yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> and I'll, quickly, I'll quickly add to that as well, lads. I don't know what you think of this, but we, we discussed this in the ground yesterday. I'd, I'd said to Chris, um, does Fernandez's yellow card not get rescinded because obviously the mm-hmm. game would have been stopped and that challenge that Fernandez put in, it, it shouldn't have ha- had to have happened. Yeah, so, uh, I, I, it I, I did, Nolan. If the ball breaks forward and like, you know, Fernandez elbows him in the face or smack, just smacks him, <laughs> slaps him across the chops, that's, you know, that's violent conduct. But what Fernandez did was, you know, it was a, it was a, a kind of, a cynical fouler players break and I'm just going to pull him back a little bit. Um, now that wouldn't Fernandez wouldn't have needed to have done that if the ref had spotted the decision immediately. So all that yellow card to have stood. I did it. I even did it stand. I still it, don't know if it, it was rescinded or I haven't checked. It was but, um, rescinded. It's a, yeah, it's an odd situation. It was rescinded. They said uh, on the commentary on the tally immediately after half time that the red the, that the yellow was rescinded, which is which oh, is you know yeah. the, which is the right thing to do. And yeah, spot on. If he had punched him or you know broken his leg or something, then then that's different. But I think if it if it's something that happens within the game that isn't an additional offence like violent conduct or something like that, if it follows on from an incorrect decision, then it is rescinded and, and his was. Okay. So, I think in that case, they need to improve the communication lines because on the board uh, at the far end of the, the ground, they had, you know, obviously the lineups and, and the cards and up till right at the end, Fernandez's yellow card was still on there. So oh, you're really? thinking as a fan, you know, he's on a warning here. And that makes you a little bit nervous. Obviously, that kind of changes the dynamics slightly, or could if you were in a situation of you know many, many yellow cards. So small thing, but I think you know they need to improve that communication. Chris, a bit. Chris, you're 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 digging out the 17 year old then kid at Southampton who's responsible for the IT, aren't you? <laughs> well, I'm sorry if he's listening. I'm sure he is. Yeah, it's, I um... just the. I mean, the, the the point there is though, like we've we've been. I mean, we've benefited from two decisions that the the ref just didn't didn't want to make himself, and that's the. The most frustrating thing that we've, as Newcastle fans, I mean, we've been on the back end of these crap decisions for years. Like, I, I, I mean, I, I get you sort of um, the frustrations of, of having to wait and stuff like that. But you know what? Like, I don't care. But if, if it gives us a chance of getting some of these decisions that we've never had in the past, I mean, there's, there's, you can count the, um, the number of chances, uh, sort of bad decisions we've had over the years um, has led to us losing points and I mean I've no doubt we've that probably those those two decisions would have cost us yesterday um so yes I understand the frustrations with it but the reality is is the referee really isn't up to up to up to make if he isn't up to making those decisions in in normal time then fine give him give him that extra chance to actually get the decision right because ultimately that's that's the most important thing I mean as you said if we had come away from that with a nil nil saying there should have been a red card should have had a penalty and we didn't get either you would like <laughs> That, that would have cost us. Um, whereas, thankfully, the, the right decisions were made and, and it actually it, it did help with... I mean, obviously, we missed the pen, but um, I, I think we... Obviously, the, the red card was a, was a big... Uh, was, a, was a big thing for sort of um, for them. So, I'm, I'm delighted that we've, we've actually come out on the, the right side of, of both those decisions as a result of it. You wonder whether the ref and, and refs generally now are leaving things knowing that they're going to be reviewed by um by VAR I 
I didn't get that impression uh, from his body language yesterday. Because how how many how many times have has like in the past they just they just don't make a decision, and that they've been doing that for years before VAR came in. They just don't they don't like to make big decisions. A lot of them. So if if it takes having uh, have somebody else make the decision for them, fine. Like they uh, the bigger issue is that the, that referee clearly isn't fit to. <laughs> To, to do his job if if he kind of make those decisions at, at, in the present moment if he if they have to have that extra check to make sure that he gets it right fine because it ultimately comes down to the quality of refereeing and unfortunately it's it's not up to scratch I don't disagree but um but you know the the correct decisions were made and and Chris the the first one for me was the key one obviously because we missed the pen but um Southampton go down to ten the game completely changes and. And how, how how do you think we adapted, and how well do you think we adapted to to playing against ten men? It's an uncomfortable position for Newcastle. I think what I would say is particularly before that decision, and as we've said, that completely changed things. But I thought that Gineppo was actually playing quite well, and he gave us quite a lot to think about and worry about in a situation where they obviously didn't have Redmond on the pitch, so their attacking outlets uh, and creativity was diminished. And I thought he was decent, so we re- you know. It was a big favour to us to have him sent off, for which you know the offence was completely out of order and was completely uh, right to have him sent off. As to kind of how we dealt with that, you know, initially, of course, after that red card, when was the last time that we had uh, the opposition go down to ten men forever ago? I can't necessarily. Tommy remember. Smith. Tommy Smith. Okay. Last season. Okay. Yeah, well, not as long ago as I thought it might be, but let's yeah. It, Clearly not something that happens every day. Or it's very... a year. It was a year ago. Okay. Well, not very regularly anyway. But in that situation, you as fans and the players notab- noticeably had the tails up. You know, they were going for it. Shelby was kind of, had so much more time, so much more space. And I think particularly towards the end of that first half, you really saw him come into his own in terms of that passing range and getting really great balls off to, to the wings. I thought he was brilliant. Unfortunately, the situation being that we weren't able to capitalise on that. And Dwight Gale, we've talked about, Almiron. Uh, later on, I think, um, Sir Maximan, um, uh, he, he uh, had... He was through and got tackled. I think what happened, so we they managed to get into half-time and then Hasenhoff thought, you know, he's a very good coach, clearly knows what he's doing. His half-time team talk, obviously don't know what it was, but it seemed to kind of really organise them, pull them together. And they were really, really difficult to break down in the second half. We didn't necessarily have the answers in how to deal with that. Uh, and I think it was only through a moment of kind of real fortune on the part of the Southampton defender um, you know, missing uh, that that ball uh, from Longstaff, which wasn't a brilliant ball to be honest, he really should have dealt with that. But also, some Maximan just driving and kind of really forcing the issue and pushing it. So yeah, we were lucky. Um, but I think when we went down, when they went down to ten men, we were all thinking, well, what happened last time Southampton went down to ten men? They lost nine nil. We can at least get kind of four <laughs> or five here. That wasn't to be the case, of course. This is Newcastle. We're not as effective or even remotely as effective as a team like Leicester. But yeah, it did uh, change the game. Um, albeit not as decisively or as quickly as we might have liked. I think the game, you know, I think the, the game's turned on a few missed chances and the key one for me, Norman, was um, was Richie missing the pen. Now, it I, I feels a little bit harsh to me to say that Richie missed the pen because it was a, a decent pen and someone piped up in the WhatsApp group yesterday saying there's no decent pen that doesn't go in. I disagree with that. Richie's hit it hard. He's hit it along the floor. He's hit it very low. He's hit it, he's hit it quite far in the corner and the keeper's made a very good save. And, and in an excellent first half for him. 
How much of an impact do you think missing that pen had on, on us? And do you think if, if it had gone in, we would have capitalised and, and gone on to win the game by more? I do, I, because what, what it did, um, look, first off, it was, in terms of you know the technique of the penalty, it was going into the bottom corner. Um, Alex McCarthy, who I absolutely slaughtered on the preview podcast. Um, <laughs> see, I, I, think, I, I think I actually said, I can't believe he's made a career as a Premier League keeper, which... Just goes to show that I know absolutely nothing about football at all. Um, so, nice one, Alex. We'll stop um, you there then, Norman. Cheers. What's that? We'll stop you there then. Cheers. Right, nice to it. lads. I'm done now. True faith. It was great. <laughs> well, it lasted. Um, yeah, none of us know anything really, do we? So, we keep talking. Um, the, the fact that he got down, given that he's at least seven foot five um, and saved it was brilliant. It was a great tip. What it did, so that you, they get the red card. Uh, they get the penalty after the you know the long drawn out VAR decision. What happened at that moment was their crowd really got behind them. Um, the, the singing sections at least were you know I'll call them the singing sections. Um, the louder sections really got behind them. And you know this happens doesn't it when teams go and do it to ten men? They feel there's a bit of injustice. The kind of adversity, the strength and adversity um, comes to the fore. And McCarthy made that save and it just inspired them and they just became really solid. And obviously it's going to impact on Matt Ritchie. Richie's already wound up. He's quite a, you know, you get the impression he's a volatile character. And anyways, and he's a Portsmouth fan. Um, he played for Portsmouth. He's got a penalty against Portsmouth's biggest rivals and he misses it. It's going to impact on him and it's going to impact on their crowd. And, and that's what happened. And, I, and after that penalty, we did struggle to break them down. What I would say as a positive is that we didn't panic. We still kept a hold of the ball. We still maintained possession. We didn't look like conceding apart from, I think Shane Long had maybe one chance um, and if Shane Long's got a chance in you, usually all right, aren't you? Um, and then he had a long range effort that went straight down to Gravka's neck. Um, but Very yeah, good effort that, struggle, by the way. We did struggle after that. It was a really good effort, but um, we, we did struggle after that, but we didn't panic. And um, I don't know if I'm going to get on them, but um, I was baffled by Bruce's substitutions. Yet here we are, yet again, me, you know, reinforcing the point that I know nothing because the substitutions clearly helped. We went on and won the game. Um, but I, it, was, it was tough after the penalty was missed. I do think he probably would have won the game comfortably if it had gone in. But ultimately, on reflection, it doesn't matter because what happened is we got the goal, we won, so happy days. Yeah, you know, Newcastle haven't had many chances to play against 10 men and it's not it's not what we want to do. We don't like having a lot of the ball and I thought I thought yesterday we did it really quite well. We were clever in the way we moved everyone 10, 15 yards further at the pitch. It allows Shelby to get on the ball in more advanced positions. It pushes their defence back. It, it, it makes their full-backs panic because if they're one-on-one with a the winger, there's no, one that, there's no one to cover. We did that really well and it... It wasn't something that I thought we would do well if we had the opportunity. So I was, I was delighted to see that, and I thought, I thought especially in the first half before the pen, we, we nailed it and we got that, we got that kind of detail of the performance of how to play against ten really, really right. Going into the second half, it wasn't quite as apparent, and I, I thought there was a, a bit of a drop in our performance in the second half, and whether that's come from Southampton raising their game and the crowd getting behind them and the lads being buoyed by, by the miss pen, or whether it's down to us. Is, well, is, is the question that I want to ask you, lads. I'll start, I'll start with you, Ben, because you saw it from the same perspective as I did. Did you see a drop in the performance and were you disappointed with how we came out after half-time? Um, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, I, th- I think you've got to give... I mean, you've, you've got to give them a bit of credit. They, um, I think, obviously, the um, sending off was, was sort of halfway through that first half. It probably, the half-time break, I think, would have done them a bit of good to get everyone in. They'll, they'll have had a... Sort of twenty minutes to see how the game was going and and sort of notice how we were going to attack. So I think 
the fact that um, at half time they'll have had time to make tactical uh, changes and and sort of go out with a new game plan. I guess obviously it completely changed for for them. They had to um, readdress their outlook. So it doesn't really surprise us that that they came out a bit more um, sort of prepared second half for for, for what we were going to throw at them. Um, and undoubtedly, I, I think um, that obviously made made it a bit more difficult for us. Um, I mean. Ultimately, as well, we're, we're realistically we're not a side that are going to create tons of chances. Even against ten men, would 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 not. Um, we're not, we're not <laughs> one of the most uh, creative sides in the league. So uh, it was always going to be like have to have to be through, sort of through our industry that we were going to get um, create the chances, especially as they sat deeper and and sort of just tried to to hold hold on. Um, I, I don't think we 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 were worse. I just think, as I say, we. Um, we found it a bit more difficult to, to sort of get um, get get the spaces that we were getting early on, um, but as I say, that uh, we've sort of we've got some match winners in that team. That's that's the beauty of of having Almer on on form, Maxman on form. Like they, they can create something out of nothing, and it's kind of just a, a, a case of just keep feeding the ball, um, keep giving them. The, the opportunities to, to make that difference and and I, I back them to do it. I think that's where um, we've we've probably struggled at times this year is we we, we don't necessarily get the the ball to our our match winners enough. Um, and and but obviously we were able to do that. Uh, well, not necessarily through through the normal um, normal play, but uh, obviously it was a mistake from them. But ultimately Max has got on the end of, of one and, and made the difference count. So. Um, yeah, I think we did. We did deserve to, to, to win it. We, had, we created enough chances in that game to to come away, and, and uh, thank, thankfully, Max has uh, is, is dug uh, Richie out a bit there. Because as you see, I think had we scored the pen, I think the game would have would have gone a different way, and, and Southampton would have had to try and uh, come out and play a bit more, and that would have given us a lot more license to to sort of play on the counter. I think. Yeah, Chris, what did it what did it seem like for you in the ground? Um. Yeah, it, was, it got a bit nervy, I think, uh, later on. Um, but yeah, I think we managed to kind of to, to pull through. I think, as we all know, this isn't a side that uh, is the most um, has the most cut through, uh, and there was a bit of nervousness there. And you know, the Southampton fans, as, as you rightly say, were kind of fully behind the team, supporting them, uh, and thought I think once we got to kind of 70, 75 minutes, that they were going to be able to kind of dig out a, a point. Uh, or at least they were kind of pretty hopeful uh, and nerves did set in. But uh, yeah, managed fortunately to, uh, to sneak it through. What was yeah, he? I'll, I'll add to that, Mickey. Um, we obviously, we were attacking, uh, Newcastle were attacking the end where the away supporters were in the second half. So we got to see how Southampton um, lined up defensively and looking looking straight down on the pitch. I mean, they had, like, what Hassan Huttle did, what I thought was really clever, was that he left both Long and Ings on the pitch. He didn't sacrifice one of his forwards. So he kind of left things up front um, and he had Long in sort of behind him. And Long, obviously, we know is a very energetic player. And, uh, you know, that, that was a brave call from him to make and it almost paid off. Um, what they did was they had these two banks of four, like let's say a kind of four, three, Long buzzing around. And it looked, even from where we were, it looked like there was such a minimal amount of space that they, they, really, they really kind of covered the space very well. And at that point, sort of, you know, around the sort of 75th minute mark, if you're looking at 30 minutes where we've had um, a man advantage, you have to, if you're looking at the objective, you're thinking they probably deserve a point based on this, the way that they've performed since they've gone down to 10 men. 
probably deserve a point. Whereas when it was 11 versus 11, I thought we were well on top. Um, so, you know, credit to Southampton for that. But, uh, yeah, as we say, you know, that I suppose when you're down to 10 men and you're, you're, that, you're that focused on the game, you're having to concentrate on every single thing you do because you know you've got that one-man disadvantage. Inevitably, when tiredness sets in, you will make a mistake. And that's what Valerie did. And fair play to Newcastle. You know, we were... The team were ready, were ready for that mistake. Maximan was ready for that mistake, and um, he capitalised on it with a, with a brilliant finish. And just quickly on the Southampton fans, not only did they kind of get behind that team for a good period of the match, which was excellent to see. Obviously, um, there was a great bit of uh, an Alan Shearer loving between the two sets of fans. Both sets of fans singing Shearer at the same time and singing the um, "He Alan Shearer" song, which which was a nice touch. That's mint. I was just going to ask you about what the away end was like because on the telly, and especially after the pen, all you could hear was Southampton. Yeah, it went, went flat, mate. It went, it went flat for about 30 minutes um, and then it picked up again. As soon as Max Mann scored, it was it was us for the rest of the match. For the first, for the, up, and, up, and, up until the penalty miss, um, it was all Newcastle uh, and then after the goal. But in between, um, we we were flat because as Chris has alluded to, um, I just think nerves. Nerves probably set in. You know, you, you can't help it. As a, as a Newcastle fan, you do go through these kind of periods where you're thinking, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Um, fortunately, that wasn't the case. Uh, th- fortunately, or, or thanks to a certain um, t- delightful backflipping footballing genius, Saint Maximan, who's um, as you say capitalised on a mistake, but he's taken that really, really, really well. It, you know, he's, he's pinched it off him. Great touch inside, and then the finish with the outside of his foot in off the inside of the post was was absolutely perfect. And uh, like before we talk about it, I had a couple of bets on yesterday, <coughs> which, which I think curses. I had money on. Um, Almir on first goal, misses a sitter. Gale first goal, missed a, missed a load of sitters. Lascelles first goal, scored but was offside. And I was thinking, like, after the Lascelles one especially, I've cursed her here. Like, why have I done this? I never, ever bet on football. So, like, I, th- I thought I'd cursed her. Almir on would have been the one that was followed... An, was this all an acu- accumulator by any time? <laughs> um, Almir on would have been the one that followed up. If if St. Max had hit the post and it bounced out, Almir would have got it, but he was offside. So it was it was critical that 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 snuck in the outside post and it and it did and that was something which just shows you the the difference in class that Maximan's got because he he he, t- he took his chance so well and it was it was a great great goal and it's a massive goal in in the context of the season. Um, what, what was he wearing like when it went in? It looked it looked like pandemonium on the telly. Norman, I'll ask you. Yeah, it was yeah, it was absolutely kind of chaos, uh, and I think you know all that kind of that weight of nerves uh, was was kind of just it kind of exploded into the kind of life there, and everyone was going nuts. I think a few minutes before uh, the goal, um, Southampton had a bit of a better spell; they were kind of starting to probe a little bit, uh, and Norman and I were talking about it, and we said, you know, this is one goal either way uh, wins this, and that you know that was. Everyone was kind of thinking the same thing at that point, um, but when when he when he took that, it was absolutely brilliant. I think one thing that I would say about Sir Maximan and the footballing genius that you kind of uh, you reference him as is I don't want to dig out Joe Linton here, but Sir Maximan, albeit not in the same position, is pretty much everything that Joe Linton isn't. He's quick. Jalinton was absolutely laboured in possession, running, and everything yesterday. He's pretty decent at one on ones. We've seen quite a few. Uh, situations this season where Jalinton has just gone to pieces under pressure in a one-on-one situation. Uh, and I think most notably is desire. And I think this is something that also Dwight Gale um, has as well in spades. Sir Maximum was running for every ball. You know, he put in the defender Valerie under pressure for that. 
was the only way that we got out of there with three points. Um, yeah, and just the desire that he has to kind of to achieve, to succeed, to score. And you saw with that celebration, just this kind of outpouring of emotion and joy, not just on the part of the fans, but on the part of him. And he plays on the edge all the time uh, in terms of just like just looking for things. He doesn't sit back. He forces the issue. Um, so, yeah, I was really impressed with him. I thought it was a really good goal under a lot of pressure. Going slightly away from the goal and managing to kind of bring it back in uh, towards um, uh, the far post. Um, but, yeah, it was it was really good. It was... Uh, Quite special. Do you know what? You know what it's like. The um, celebrations. This is what like. This is what it reminds me of. You know what? You, you know when you get one of those celebrations, mate. It's just absolute limbs and carnage. Like, have you have you seen the film Gladiator at the beginning, where like that Roman sentry sent back like headless on a horse, and like there's, a, there's one of those German barbarians just holding up, and he shouts something rad in German, and then uh, and then Russell Crowe just sees uh, on my command unleash hell, and then it all just kicks off. That's what it's like. It's almost like basically Maximan's running with a ball. He's just about to put it in, and he's seeing on my command only shell, and then it just goes absolutely mental. And it was uh, just uh, like there's nothing better. There is nothing better as a football fan than a limbs moment. It is such a beautiful, beautiful, visceral experience. It's like it's like being bladdered and off your kite all at the same time. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and you could see you could see how much it meant to Saint Maximan as well. You know, his, his celebration was class. I love seeing people doing loads of flips like. Ever since we had Martins just like tumbling away to the corner and uh, Lua as well, like it's just class in it. Like uh, the the mentality of it has always confused me. Where like like for us, obviously we're not like I don't want to speak for anyone, but I'm pretty sure I'm talking for all of the people on this podcast. None of us are capable of doing even one flip, let alone loads. But like whenever when I score in football, I just want to like clench my fists and shout and scream but like the mentality to be like no I'm not going to do that I'm going to do loads and loads of flips towards the corner is is mental <laughs> like why why do people do it but I but I absolutely oh, I love it I think it just I think it was no no sorry uh, I was just going to say I think it just totally sums up his desire not just to play football and to succeed but to entertain and yeah he's He's the only, well, one of the only players in years I can remember that every time he runs at a player, you think, this is going to come off, he's going to beat them. And I think the whole of his game is focused around entertainment. Uh, and it's just a wonderful thing to watch, you know. Uh, I loved it. Amazing. It's, it's, the fit, it's the fitness levels, man, isn't it? You know, when we played it, um, we played on the pitch in the summer. And, uh, you know, I, 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 made, I made a run to the back post and, they, and tapped the ball in. And basically, like, I'd scored at the Gallagher end, right? I mean, it was like, you know, like a, a dream, you know, even though it was just a kickabout with me. It's like, my energy after that, I couldn't have celebrated. <laughs> I, I pretty much had, like, three or four coronaries within the space of 10 minutes after scoring it. Yet, the, the, the levels, the difference in human physiology between Maximan and, like, everyday man on the street, like a person football, is ridiculous. How, how can the human body be so different? How can you do that? Play for 70-odd minutes get on the end of a ball, put it in the net after shaking off a defender and then do a backflip. Like, how does it happen? Like, the machines, the absolute machines. Um, if I tried it, like, I wouldn't be asked speaking you today. I'd be dead. <laughs> you can see how good um, how good shape he's in from from the picture of him, like, clenching in front of the awareness. Like, you know, fair, fair play to him underneath, underneath that glorious black and white shirt, which unfortunately is uh, owned by Mike Ashley. Um, he's, he's in an incredible physical shape, so you're absolutely right, Norman. Um, one telling thing about, about that... And you know, in the aftermath of the game, is uh, Sir Maximan put a photo on Twitter of himself hugging Bruce, which is is clearly a, a reference to the article that um, 
that Craig Hope mentioned, that Craig Hope released on Tuesday morning. Um, don't know what you guys thought of that, Ben. I thought that was really significant, and it's it says yeah. that if the, if there was a rift, it was a minor one, and it's sorted. Yeah, I think it's it. I'm glad Maxim did it because uh, it shows that there is unity there, and I think that's it, it's one of those things. Um, obviously, something had gone on. I, I, I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that, that Craig Hope would have, have released a story based on pure um, fabrication, um, which is what sort of Bruce Bruce was trying to hint at. Um, I think what the reality of probably what's happened is that. I, I, I can see why there would have been. You, you can understand why there would have been a fallen out because I'm sure Bruce. Um, I mean, we've, we've seen it yesterday. Maximan is one of our one of our match winners. Um, He's he, our best he player. Has the, he? In, he has the individual um, that he has those individual moments where he could just get the ball at any moment in time and and just drive it, defend it completely, um, make them look like a right clown, and 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 put slot one on the back back of the net um, and. We don't have many of those, so you, you can understand Bruce wanting to protect that and making sure we've we've got that um, for the moment that it matter. And I guess it's one of those things where he's he probably had a difficult decision in the last few weeks where um, he has picked up a few niggles. He's, he's been injured. Obviously, we did rush him back earlier in the year and it backfired. And Bruce probably didn't want to get caught out doing the same thing again. So he's, he probably has taken um, decisions at some point and maybe had conversations where he said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to rest you or leave you out. And every player will want to play every every game and especially someone, as you say, the exuberance and, and just the... He, he looks just so excited to play Maximan. He, he's obviously loving his football at the minute and, and loving the adulation he's getting from from, from the, the fans at the minute. So he obviously wants to be out there every moment and, and doing what he can to help to push this team and, uh, forward. And I can understand why he would be disappointed if he was told he wasn't going to play. Um, obviously, Bruce is has to make these decisions. That's what he's paid for. That's what the manager's job is to do: is is, is to to make the decisions that are unpopular at times. And um, it could have backfired potentially had we um, maybe not picked up points when he dropped Maximan and things like that. But it's it, it's come it, it's come right, come about that actually it it maybe rested him in the in the past has has uh, come good because we've got him fit now in the team, able to win games for him and and. and Obviously, the fact that uh, Maximan's um, released the photo himself of him hugging um, Bruce there is, is significant in that he obviously still backs Bruce, um, and and I think that's the biggest thing for Bruce is that he, he still got the players on side, and it, it would be quite easy to to have fallen out when, especially when players on on playing. I mean, you look at someone like Gale who hasn't played much this season. Um, it would be quite easy for him to just come in and, and think, um. I, I'm, I'm not getting on with this manager. I'm, I'm not necessarily going to try my hardest for him. Um, the players are still committed to, to Bruce, which is one of the things he's got going for him. And, and to be honest, that's one of the things that Bruce said in his career has has always is carried around a reputation that he's a, a players' player, a players' manager, and, and that the players like him. And all the all the sort of uh, comments that come out, um, especially since a couple of the contract signs have, have talked up his sort of relationship with them, especially Shelby. Um, and I think that was another sign for Maximan there that everything's fine. He he respects Bruce. He's he's, he's still um, he's still sort of on on his side. Do you know what I mean? And and that was a good show to say. Actually, no, we are united here. We're still a close knit group because I think some something like that that could linger where that, that there is those sort of potential fractures. If if the if say Maxima hadn't hadn't come out and sort of quashed any of that, then then it's it's just a, a potential 
um, thing to point to that, that could could become a bigger problem further down the line, say um, results were getting a bit tighter. And I mean, ultimately, we're, we're still in a relegation battle here. We need everybody pulling in the right direction. Um, it, it was good to, to see him um, show that United front and, and I'm sure it's delighted. I mean, Brucey will be delighted himself that the players come out on, on his own sort of accord and, and sort of backed him uh, himself there and showing that everything's all right. Ten grand bonus, Max, if you hug us and uh, put it on Twitter straight after the match. Exactly. <laughs> hey, if it, it works, it works. If it works, it works. Exactly that. Um, Chris, in typical Newcastle fashion, and you know, Bruce said Bruce said midweek that it's in our DNA. Typical Newcastle fashion, we score, and then it's it's a bit backs to the wall for the rest of the game. How how did that feel for you? Because it was for me, it was hanging. I was so nervous. Yeah, I was pretty nervous. You know, this season has not been one of um, too much to write home about and too enjoyable. And multiple times we've thrown opportunities away um, this season. So, yeah, there was that nerves there. Um, I, I kind of I kind of thought we would probably nick it, but it, it would, would have been difficult to throw it away. So, yeah, I mean, I... I it was it was a sheer relief at the end, uh, to be honest. Even when we scored, you know, you're not quite believing it and thinking, well, what was there? Kind of ten minutes or so plus stoppage time left. Um, you know, Southampton are not a bad side. They, they still had some pretty decent offensive options on the pitch and brought on Che Adams, I think, who's not a bad player. He looks, you know, he's fresh um, for the last five minutes or so. So there was that worry there, but um, yeah, relief. Relief, definitely. Um... Norman? I didn't feel too, strangely. I didn't feel too nervous. Um, I, I don't. I think you know Southampton by that point they weren't offering much, in it, and I think that that belief that one goal would settle the game that that was still there when we got that goal. I just thought, yeah, we've got this in the bag now. I mean, what what we fear was at the time was that you know we go one 0 up and and Bruce kind of tells the lads to defend the lead as opposed to actually if we just kind of sit a little bit higher up, we'll probably be able to catch them on the break because they'll have to push bodies forward. Um, but we, we didn't really, and I guess, you know, on reflection, if you watch, I watched Match of the Day this morning, Maximan scores, and then that was it, highlights over. And that suggests that actually nothing happened between the goal, the goal going in and the end of the game. So, all in all, um, uh, a relatively stress free last sort of um, 15 minutes, which, you know, which I think is testament to, to how well the players saw the game out. Fair play, Maybe that says more about your, my, your disposition rather than mine. Maybe I'm getting more nervy than you. <laughs> That's what I was going to say as well. Fair play to you, Norman, because I, I was incredibly nervous. And, yeah, you know, to be fair, it probably wasn't justified on the performance because they didn't really create any chances or, or, or threaten at all, but it was just the way things have gone for with this season, especially when we've been ahead, the way we've, we've hung on, like, all hands to the deck in pretty much every time we've been ahead. I just assumed it was going to come again, and I was nervous maybe because of that rather than rather than what actually happened. But see that we did and uh, secured a, like an absolutely massive win for Newcastle. And without wanting to be, I don't want to curse it. And in fact, I'm not going to curse it. I'm not going to say anything. We'll just leave, we'll leave it, leave it at that for, for the, for the game, you know, massive win for Newcastle, massive three points on the board. Looking at the league table, it looks good, but I'll, I'll not stress on what I was going to say in case it does curse us. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously big news, big news from through the week is the, the, We've, we've signed new contracts with Shelby and Richie until 2023. Um, their performances for me were very good yesterday. Richie, I didn't, I, I didn't think he should have started. I thought he should have started Lazaro to offer some pace on the right, but I thought Richie played really well. And other than 
missing the pen or having the pen save, whichever you want to want to say. I thought I thought he did excellently and um, offered offered an attacking threat. And you know, in the last two times he's played there, he has offered someone going forward, which I didn't think he had in the locker anymore. Um, did you did you lads that were in the ground think that he think that he did as well as I did? Uh, I wasn't as convinced to be honest. And I think uh, Matt Ritchie in particular. I think he does offer the side something in that he is a galvanizer and he will call out subpar performances when needed. But then the flip side of that is that we all know that he is kind of on the edge of bookings, on the edge of, you know, everything boiling over. And in a really high pressure situation, when he's playing against the team, the, uh, the side that he supported, closest rivals, and also he used to play for Bournemouth, they were, they were out to get him at the, the Southampton fans I did kind of I did worry that his head was kind of was focused on the narrative and and just the situation more so than actually kind of his game I didn't think that he had a fantastic game and we were talking on the match day about this I totally agreed with the sentiment that you said earlier I would have put Lazaro in to start myself um, but yeah I would. Um, I think Richie yesterday he was solid, if unspectacular. And um, what I will see is the ball. You know, that that triple chance that was created. You know when Shelby got the ball on the right hand side and kind of cut in and put that lovely ball into her gale. Um, it was Richie's ball that released Shelby. It was a fantastic ball down the line, and we know that Richie's got that. He's like, ah, he can play fantastic passes. I mean, nobody will ever forget that crossfield pass against their Brighton in the two one win down there in the championship. In the wins, um, and we know that he can put a, he can put a, he can put a good corner in as well. Um, and he is, he's, a, he's obviously a, a leader in, in the dressing room and around the training ground. Now, look, he's a, he's a winger. Matt Ritchie is a winger, and wingers tend to, you know, um, in, the, in the top flight. When a winger gets to sort of 31, 32 years old, they start to, I think they start to win quite quickly as an effective force in that position. And I don't think that Ritchie's the kind of player who can kind of extend his years as a player by player in a more central position. However, the contract's been signed. He's here, and he's important in the sense that he, he can... He can create chances um, with his passing ability. And also, as I say, people clearly like having him around. So, you know, let, let, let's for this moment in time, I'm going to look at the positives. Um, to, on, on Shelby signing a new contract. Now, Shelby, you know, for me, I think the biggest frustration is that I don't think he's ever fulfilled his, um, his potential. And his potential is vast. Um, you know, the, and I'm looking at the new contract... On reflection, initially I was like, well, why are we keeping him on? Is it a sign of lack of ambition? You know, he hasn't done anything, et cetera, et cetera. But then I started thinking about it and it's like, well, you know, if Shelby went, um, who would we bring in to replace him? Would we bring in anyone better than John Joe Shelby to replace him? Because, you know, when he's good, he's very good. Um, his fitness and sometimes I think his frustration with his teammates, I think it's questionable. But if you look at it this season, you know, you look at his performance yesterday, he was vital to the win. Um, he's still a top scorer. And when he's got a mobile centre forward ahead of him, i.e. like Dwight Gale, he does produce it. Um, so uh, right now, after yesterday's victory and kind of having thought of thought of, of what him going might have led to, then I'm I'm quite pleased that he signed a new contract. Um, you know, ask me again in, in a year's time. But right now, I'm I'm pretty much on board with it. I'm with you then. You know, I wonder whether there's an element element to this of protecting the, the value if we were to sell them on. I, I don't want to talk too much about that, but I think that's, that's got to play on their minds that a player with three or four years left on his contract is worth more if, if they come to be sold than, than otherwise. On Shelby, I, there's two things I want to say about those two contracts. Number one, I think it's a, a, it's a big vote of confidence in Bruce because those are two players that have been vocally very, very 
positive about uh, Bruce's management, and it's it's clear that they're two of his players now that that they're kind of two key parts of his dressing room, and I think it's a vote of confidence from the club in Bruce to to be given those two contracts. The two older lads, especially Richie, you know, in years gone by, people of his age don't get new contracts, certainly not long new contracts. So I think it's it's a vote of confidence in um, in Bruce as much as the players. And secondly, I think um, with Shelby, you know, other teams don't operate on the basis that it's one in one out like a full night club on a Saturday night but with Newcastle for years it's always been that like there always has to be someone leave before we bring someone in and it, it doesn't have to be that way like a proper football club that tries to get better every year will keep their good players and then buy better ones as well like and for the first time I can I, like assuming that we do go out now and buy a, a centre mid which hopefully we do that that's something that Newcastle have got right this time. I'm hoping that that, that I'm not wrong and that they're just going to keep Shelby and play him, you know, as as our first choice centre mid for the next three years. Fingers crossed, it's not that. But I th- I think that there's a possibility that there's a sign there that we're actually going to start to build rather than re- replenish. If you see what I mean, I think there's a possible difference in attitude there. I think the one. I think one thing. Sorry, I think the one thing that I would say on that is. You know, whatever you think of Shelby and Richie and the fact that these uh, contracts have been resolved, it's probably a positive, you know, and it, there is a kind of a degree of vote of confidence there. But what I would say is that they're two out of five or six that need resolving. Uh, Matty Longstaff, of course, is the kind of probably highest profile, the one that we've talked about the most. And it sounds like that's reached a bit of a kind of deadlock. When Bruce was saying in the pre-match press conference about these new deals for Shelby and Richie, he was obviously very positive about that. He mentioned Federico Fernandez having a one-year option, and what I would actually say is that is an option that's not necessarily been triggered. And we've been here before when an option has been on the table, Modiame, and it hasn't been taken up because negotiations have broken down. So I wouldn't necessarily say that that is a foregone conclusion. But he did seem a little bit less positive on the Longstaff brothers. And yes, Sean does have a couple of years. But we are going to be getting to the point within the next six months, nine months, where that does definitely need resolving. And Matty Longstaff, you know, there's been paper talk over the last few weeks of him being linked with clubs here, there and everywhere in Europe. Yes, that may be agent talk, but he could very well leave for, what is it, 400,000 compensation. So it's a positive that John Joe Shelby and Matt Ritchie, to a lesser or greater degree, have signed. But it's not the only contract situation that needs resolving. Yeah, they're not they're not the priority ones either. The the, the important ones for me are the other two young lads. And right, you know, I want to look at the, our performances since January in a second, and, and and the change in formation, and whether or not Bruce deserves some credit. And I, I'm personally going to be quite positive about him, but I'll, just for a second, I want to be quite negative about Steve Bruce because I think his comments in the press this week about the Longstaff uh, Matty Longstaff contract are out of order. I think he's he's trying to put pressure on him by saying. I hope he makes it from a, makes his decision from a footballing perspective. He's trying to he's trying to make him look like an arsehole if he doesn't sign a new contract for Newcastle, and I think that's Shan on on a young lad that was born in North Shields. He's played a couple of games in the first team this year, started really well, and then supposedly he's on eight hundred and fifty pounds a week, which is a lot of money in the real world, but in football it's pathetic. That he must be the lowest paid player that's played a game in the Premier League this year. He must be, and. I doubt, I doubt he's banged down Steve Bruce's door asking for 75 grand a week. Just pay him pay him the, a proper wage for a Premier League centre midfielder and, and have done with it. Keep him uh, keep him at Newcastle, let him let him expand and grow as a player and if he doesn't if it doesn't come off then it doesn't come off but at least give him the chance. And I think Bruce Bruce calling him out in public like that for me is is was was really sly and I I, I don't like it and I I think now following that 
he won't sign a new contract and we're likely to see him leave in the summer for free or for, for the pittance that you get in, in st- instead, which is is a real shame for me. And I am quite disappointed in Steve Bruce. However, on the contrary, I think the change in formation has has really worked. And, you know, with two wins out of two away from home, Almiron linking up really well with Gale up front and playing in his proper position. Maximan being effective in a wide position. We've now got the option of playing Richie in an advanced position. Lazaro can come in there, play really well. The two in midfield seems to be working okay, regardless of who we've played so far. Two at the back is enough. Our fullbacks seem both to be more suited to playing as a fullback rather than a wingback. I, I think it's all positive. How how do you guys feel? Norman, I'll come to you first. Ah, it's, um, it, it, it has worked and... Um, you know, long may it continue. I mean, I think that the longer we persist with the system, then I think the better we'll obviously get, the more comfortable we get, and, and it's been absolutely necessary. And I think I said on the um, on the match day, on the, on the kind of six-minute ramble at the beginning, um, I don't know if anyone's forced themselves to go through it, like, so good, good luck if you do. But um, I said uh, that the, the supposed defensive solidity that the three at the back gave us, I think was actually a bit of a myth, Um you know, we've actually conceded quite a lot of goals this season, and we've kept a lot of clean sheets, which came to gives it, you know, it gives it a, a sort of a bit of it's a bit of a false economy. We're really solid defensively, but actually we've just kept a lot of. I know it sounds tough, but we've kept a lot of clean sheets. Don't Dubravka in the games we've conceded, we've conceded big. Um, and you know, you look at the results since we've switched the four at the back. You look at how many goals we've conceded. I mean, that's two consecutive clean sheets in the league, uh, and we've created more chances. And just kudos. Good ask to Bruce for doing it, after, especially, you know, after coming out and saying these players can't play any other way. He's had to swallow his pride there and come out and change things, and he's done it. And you've got to hold your hands up and gamble fair play. You kind of admit that you were wrong in what you said. So good on you for doing that so publicly, and, and it's working so far, and I'm pleased to see it. Um, and, you know, the, the new formation with playing an actual centre-forward and, and having the having the kind of guts to drop Joe Linden yesterday, again, credit to the manager. So I long, long may continue. I'm... I was going at that match yesterday, going at that stadium, feeling a lot more positive, and that's precisely down to the fact that we we have changed formation and the players just look happier um, in what they're doing. Chris, do you agree? Uh, yeah, broadly. I think what I would say, though, is that I think you have to view Bruce's success, in kind of air quotes, as entirely context-dependent. I think this is a good points haul, but this is not where this club should be. The fact that we are... Yeah, okay, we're probably one win away from safety now. So we're not probably, fingers crossed, and I don't want to jinx it, Mickey, as you say, we're probably not hopefully going to be in a relegation battle in the last few games of the season. But I think the fact that we are even in that kind of mix uh, through the season is is not where a club of the stature should be. So, yeah, he's, he's done well, um, but I think we're still the shadow of what happened in the summer and how that was handled. Is still kind of living over this club. So, yeah, I think you have to view it in a wider context. So, he's done a, a pretty decent job in the circumstances. And I totally agree with Norman that switching the formation, uh, which, to be honest, Bruce did say that the squad couldn't do, but switching that formation and making it work has uh, reaped rewards. Um, but long term, uh, the jury is still out for me. Yeah. Ben, I'll, I'll leave you with a final word. I just want to ask, you know, Bruce has made the change and it and it has worked. It's paid dividends. Are, are you happy about it? Obviously, or is it you know why is it taking so long? That that's the key one for me. Mm-hmm. He's been talking about it all year, hasn't he? About wanting uh, to give the players. It's it's been a bit of a strange one, hasn't it? He's he's been talking about I need to give the players time to to sort of 
developing it, adapt to what I want to do. And he's he said on a number of occasions that he sort of, he's made reference a lot of times that he's basically inherited Rafa's squad and, and he's been sort of forced into playing Rafa's tactics. And um, that was one of the weird things that we've, we've picked up on a few times saying, well, hang on a minute, you're the one in the job. You like, you pick the team. And, and he was getting a lot of credit, obviously, from from areas in the media for, for how the team, where, where the team was in terms of we weren't, we haven't really dropped into that bottom four at any point. Um, and we've, we've never really been that sort of right down um, at the bottom. So he's been getting a lot of credit, but then he's sort of been playing that off, saying, oh, well, I'm still playing the old manager's uh, sort of tactic. So it kind of discredits him a little bit. So um, I'm, I'm pleased that he, I mean, he's, he's talked all season about wanting to create more chances and he's been promising this more um, offensive attacking playing and whatnot. And we haven't really seen it. So um, he's obviously got to a point where he's, he's comfortable that he's got players um, that he's, he's able to, to to sort of implement his his system, and I guess obviously the the four four two I would say is is, is his preferred um, position. I think obviously he was he was sort of playing that three slash five five um, at the back formation for most of the year. Um, you, you can see now this is a bit more of, of his foot sort of footprint on on the team, and, and uh, I suppose it, I mean it's <laughs> better late than never. It's taken nearly sort of. 30 odd games or whatever for him to get to his point where he it looks like he's actually picking his team his formation now um but it's as you say we, we do seem to be creating more opportunities now and um the, the, there is some positives there i mean it helps that we've, we've got some some quality players who who are now banging form um and that that will allow him to be a bit more adventurous i think i do like the acquisition of uh Lazaro. i think he brings a lot of pace um to the team and and that shift away from joe linton just i mean we've been calling out for, calling out for it for a while um, within the podcast, I just I just feel like Joe Linton just needed taking out the firing line a bit, and uh, he's he finally done it and, and put Gale in. And just I think just you, you get a new enthusiasm and a bit more like Gale's getting opportunity now where he probably wasn't expecting it. Um, in the summer when forty million pound strike has been brought in, Gale probably figured he would be on his way out the door probably, or or certainly wouldn't be playing much. And the fact that he's been given this opportunity, he's going to come in and, and sort of work, try and work hard and. I think just you've got a core of players here who they're all like high character players. I mean, we've, we've, this, there's been comments about this uh, sort of the nucleus of the championship squad still being there. And I think the deals for Shelby and, and Richard, just to touch quickly on that, um, are sort of indicative of that. The, the, you like the Lascelles, Richie, Shelby, they're all leaders within this, this team. And I think that's the, the they're obviously the elder statesmen, they're, they're, they're experienced, they've played through numerous uh, Premier League campaigns and things. They they know what it takes and I think especially with someone like Richie, you've got someone who is industrious and, and will graft and, and is a really good player to have in these types of games where you are coming up against a team that are probably at your level um in terms of um, playing ability. Like his his work rate can, can maybe make that difference. So um I think just, just coming back to Bruce, I think it it is starting to see um more of more of, of, of a Bruce team than than say what we've been used to most of the year, which was probably just the the aftermath of, of Rafa and sort of his his uh, his his sort of outtake on the team. Bruce is starting to to sort of maybe put his um, his his sort of touch on the on on the team. Yeah, thanks uh, thanks for summing that up, Ben. I think you I think you you're pretty much right there. So we'll we'll, we'll wrap that that show up today. Um, 
Newcastle roll out of this weekend into two massive home fixtures. We've got Chef United on Saturday coming to home three o'clock, and a, a win in that one would put us in a very, very good position to to avoid relegation this year. And then following that, we've got Man City at home in the cup quarterfinal. Uh, rally and cry for me quickly before we finish. I, I, anyone that's going to that game needs to go and be as hostile as possible against Man City because if we can come out of this game with a win, we'll get to go to Wembley and we'll get to have a day out with our mates that we haven't been able to do since I wasn't officially allowed to drink. Like It's rid- ridiculous that it's been that long. So anyone that's going, please do your best to make it a, a, a ho- like an old school hostile St. James's Park and make it hot, as hard as possible for Man City to, uh, to, to get anything from it. Um, just want to quickly thank all our patrons. They make this show possible by um, paying about £7 a month for loads of extra shows. We always put a number on it and it always seems to be more than that. We get loads and loads of extra content out for uh, for patrons every week. Uh, if you like what you've heard, subscribe, give us a try. It's only £7 for the first month. If you don't like it, you can cancel, but we'll show you that you, that you will. Um, thanks everyone for sticking with, with True Faith and for, for listening today. Up the mags. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.